chapter 42, Genesis chapter 42. Get back into our story of Joseph, but we are in a new chapter. Genesis chapter 42. So good to see all of you here today. Let me say a welcome again to those who are watching by the internet. We appreciate you as well. Thank you for writing to us. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Without the generous gifts of people in this church and those in other places, of course, we couldn't have this beautiful building. We're thankful to all of you who pray for us and who give uh, generously. Genesis chapter 42, the subject of today's that is, ye are spies. Now we're going to read only the first two verses in the interest of time because we're going to cover most of these verses. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in, Israel, in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? He said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from there that we may live and not die. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let God's people say praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now I hate to say this because we're on the internet, but it seems like we have a little feedback here. It seems like we're a little loud. It does to me up here anyway. So I don't know if that volume needs to be adjusted or not. It has been 23 years since Joseph was sold by his brothers to a caravan traveling to Egypt. He was 17 years old when he arrived in Egypt. He was 30 years old when he stood before the Pharaoh. Then he went through seven years of plenty, so that would have made him about 37 years old. And now we're in about halfway through the famine, about three, three and a half, four years into the famine. And so Joseph is now about 40 years old, 40 years old. And this brings us to this 42nd chapter. And I will give you a division, but I'm going to do that in another study. I've divided the chapter into seven divisions, and I'll cover that for you in another study. I want to make two points to you today. The first two points is there's a reeling, R-E-E-L-I-N-G, reeling, staggering in Canaan, and there's a kneeling in Egypt. Now let's look at the first five verses of chapter 42. And this is where we see the patriarch Jacob reeling in Canaan. We see in verse 1 that he understood that there was corn in Egypt. And then in verse 2, he urges his sons, what are you doing standing around looking at each other and starving to death? Why don't you get down there to Egypt and buy some corn for us so that we don't starve to death? Verse 3, we find that Jacob sent 10 of his sons into Egypt. He sent 10 of them probably for their safety. It was dangerous traveling. 
in those days in that path that they had to go and for companionship. But you notice in verse 4 that he held back one son, Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief fall him. If you remember the story, Joseph's brothers told their father Jacob that Joseph had been attacked by a wild beast. At least they brought his coat back, smeared it with the blood of an animal. And they said, is this your son's coat? And he said, it is. And they said, well, we found it. And Jacob just fell to pieces and said, no doubt a wild beast has attacked my, my son. And so he has, Joseph has a, a brother from the same mother. In other words, Joseph and Benjamin are full-blooded brothers. Their, their mother was Rachel. And so Benjamin, because Jacob thought Joseph is dead, his wife Rachel is dead, and so Benjamin is the only and last comfort for this old man's life. So he says, I'm not going to send him. If I send Benjamin, something might happen to him like it happened to Joseph. So in verse 5, we see that the sons of Jacob went to Egypt to buy corn. But I want you to notice something about verse 5. could be a whole message in this, but not this morning. It says, and the sons of Israel. It doesn't say the sons of Jacob. It says the sons of Israel. They are identified as covenant sons of the chosen one, who is Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. You see, his name Jacob means rebel, and his name Israel means prince with God. So they went down there under the covenant blessings of God as sons of Israel, not as sons of the rebel Jacob. Now, it's evident to me from Jacob's language that he and his sons and their families are beginning to suffer somewhat from the scarcity of food. Most likely, some of Jacob's sons are beginning to sink into despondency. So in those first five verses, we see the patriarch reeling in Canaan because of the scarcity of food. Now we will see in verses 6 through 13, the sons of the patriarch kneeling in Egypt. Now in verse 6, we are told again of the exaltation and the glory of Joseph. He's governor over all of the land. He is the one without whose permission no one can buy or sell in Egypt. And in time, the sons of Israel come face to face with the great governor of Egypt. And what do they do? They bow down before him. They bow all the way down to the earth. Let's look at verse 6. Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. <laughs> now I want you to turn back for just a moment to chapter 37. 
I know you know this, but let me just show it to you and show you where it is. Chapter 37 in the book of Genesis and in verse 5, Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren. They hated him even more because of the dream. Verse 6, and he said, here I pray you this dream which I dreamed. Verse 7, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and your sheaves stood round about and bowed down, made obeisance to my sheep. And his brethren said, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words, that is, for the way that he told the story. So when we get back to chapter 42, we get down here to verse 6, and precisely what they said they would never do, they do. They bow down, chapter 42, verse 6, middle of the verse, Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their Faces to the earth. So what we're having here is the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. Now, where is their haughtiness now? Where is their boasting now? My friends, listen to me now. The Bible teaches that the Lord will abase, that is, put down the pride of the proud. Psalm 12, verse 3, the Lord shall cut off flattering lips and the tongue that speak is proud things. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud. According to Mary, the mother of our Savior, God sent his son into the world to deal with the pride of man. In part of her prayer, she says in Luke chapter 1, verse 51, he has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. We read in James chapter 4 and verse 6. We read in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now this brings us to this lesson among these other lessons. The number one problem with the human race, with regard to salvation in Christ, with regards to coming to Christ, is pride. The Bible tells us that there are three avenues of sin. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. No proud person will be saved in their pride. I don't say that proud people won't be saved, but God will break their pride in saving them. God resists the proud. Now the devil tempted Eve in these same three areas, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Remember, she saw the tree that it was pleasant to the eyes. She was attracted, first of all, through her eyes. We used to teach our children a little song, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. And today, we are bombarded 
in television, as Dale hinted at this morning, on the internet. Let me tell you something, parents. You better, you better pay attention to what your children are doing on those computers. You better pay attention to it. You better say, you better put on that computer screen. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. You need to know. I can't tell you how many times, and you've seen it too on the news, they come up with some, some kid that's killed somebody. What, did they have a six or seven or eight-year-old and shot his teacher a week ago, and the mother so she's flabbergasted. Well, I didn't have any idea. Well, you're supposed to have an idea. They're your children. You're supposed to be there to raise them. Parents are to parent. They don't know what to do. You need to set the guidelines, mom and dad. You don't need to let them just do what they want to do and determine what they want to do. You determine what they can do, and you determine what they will do. She saw the tree. It was pleasant to the eyes. She was attracted to the eyes. Secondly, it says she saw the tree, that it was a tree to be desired. See, the eyes led to the desire of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Then it says that it would make her wise. The desire started with the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and she saw and believed that it would make her wise. That's the pride of life. The devil tempted our Lord Jesus Christ in these same three areas. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 4. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, with one exception, he never sinned. The devil said to him after he was hungry for 40 days, look at this nice, wonderful bread. Turn these stones to bread. You can take those stones right there and turn them to bread. You can, you can end this hunger right now. Then he said, jump off the temple. That's the lust for glory, the lust of the flesh for glory. And then he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and that's the pride of life. And he tempts us in the same way. First John chapter 2, verse 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. First John 2, 16. James tells us we, we blame this and we blame that. And we blame our, our parents and our grandparents and we blame situations and we blame, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not a, a violent person. But people have been killing one another since the beginning of time, since Cain killed Abel. They don't have to have a gun to do it. They can do it in other ways. I don't think Cain had a gun, but he killed his brother. But here's the problem. James chapter 1, listen to these verses, verses 14 and 15. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust conceives, it's like laying an egg. When lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Read it in James chapter 1. The number one problem with the human race, especially in terms of bowing to Christ, is pride. That's why we must bow to Jesus, bow to him and confess ourselves to be sinners in desperate need of his mercy. Jesus said, Matthew 23, 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. James says, James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 
Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. All of you, he said, should be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Now, these proud brothers of Joseph are going to be humbled. And I promise you that every sinner that's saved in this world is going to be humbled. All who resist the Father, all who resist His Son, and all who resist His Spirit are going to be brought down. My friends, I say to you and I say to myself, let us humble ourselves now that He will lift us up, He will save us, and He will bless us. All right, now notice verses 7 and 8, Joseph recognizes his brothers. 7 and 8, Joseph saw his brothers and he knew them. But he made himself strange unto them, and he spake roughly to them. And he said unto them, Where did you come from? Whence came you? They said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. Verse 8, And Joseph knew his brethren, but they did not know him. Now what Joseph does here, he's not treating them spitefully, but he's treating them as though they are foreigners. He's speaking in the Egyptian language through a translator. He knows what they're saying, but they don't know the Egyptian language. So he treats them as foreigners. And he's speaking to them in an authoritative manner, not in a familiar tone. You know, for example, if you were in the Queen's family in England, you may could go up and address her in a different way than the public has to address her, Your Majesty. And this is the way he's addressing them. He's addressing them as the governor, speaking them not in a familiar tone of voice. Now, we're told in verse 9 that Joseph remembered the dreams he had 23-plus years ago. Verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams when he dreamed of them. And he said to them, you're spies. To see the nakedness, the weakness is what that means. The weakness of the land you have come up. So he initiates a plan. And we have this plan in verses 9 through 14. He accuses them of being spies three times. In verse 9, in verse 14, and in verse 16. Verse 14, Joseph said, that's what I said, you're spies. Verse 16, he says, you can prove that you're not spies. So we got these three times, 9, 14, and 16, accusing them of being spies. Now, why is he doing this? Well, he wants to gain some information from them. Verses 10 and 11, they said, no, my Lord, we came just to buy food. We are all one man's sons, verse 11. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. I think right here, uh, they, are, uh, they are really beginning to get confused. Uh, then in verse 13, thy servants are 12 brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. That is, one is dead. So why is he speaking this way to them? Well, he wants to gain information, but secondly, 
He is the instrument of God to break their pride and to put them in the fear of God. They may be the sons of Jacob, but they haven't been living in the fear of the Lord. He is reinforcing the truth that will be later revealed to them that all of these things are of God and they are happening to fulfill the will of God. Now to end this study this morning, I'm going to give you some personal lessons and some providential lessons. There are four personal lessons and there are three providential lessons that I want you to consider. Here they are. Number one, learn to trust the Lord whatever comes your way. Now that's what Joseph's been doing. He's been trusting the Lord. He's been through some rough times. But whatever comes your way, the way you are to live in this world, until you die, until the Lord comes, is trusting Him whatever comes your way. Now, I used to live about 140, 50 miles from Panama City, Florida. So we went down there quite a bit. And we would hear the word undertow current quite a bit. An undertow current is just like a tornado, except it's in the water. And if you are pulled underwater by an undertow current, they will tell you that it is best not to fight it, but to give yourself up to it. And it may pull you under for a few seconds, but then it will release you. But if you fight it, your chances of being drowned, drowned dramatically increase. Likewise, it is best while we are in this world to walk according to the revealed will of God. The Bible. His will as revealed in the pages of the Bible. For the undertow of the secret will of God cannot be known and it cannot be overthrown. By fighting the revealed will of God, the brothers of Joseph fulfilled the purpose of God. By fighting what they knew God had said to them through the dreams of Joseph, they brought to pass the secret will of God. Now listen to me. If you are doing all you can to walk with the Lord according to his revealed will in the Bible, and in spite of that, things go contrary, submit to it while trusting the Lord at all times. This is what Joseph did. His life from the age of 17 seemed to go contrary to his walk with the Lord. I mean, it looked like to me that all the other brothers would have had trouble. He was the one walking with the Lord, but he's the one that had the trouble. You know what he did? He just kept walking and he kept trusting. You can trust the Lord. He makes no mistakes. Listen to this. The Lord never moves without purpose or plan while trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In the darkness, he giveth a song. 
Learn to trust the Lord whatever comes your way. Personal lesson number one. Personal lesson number two. Rejoice in the Lord when you cannot rejoice in your circumstances. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knows the end of each path that I take. For when I'm tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Now, here's a passage that I would encourage you to memorize. I would write it down. I'd put it on my refrigerator. I'd put it on my door. I'd quote it to my children. I'd get everybody in the house to memorize it. It's from the little book of Habakkuk. This is what it says. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Listen to it. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, and no fruit shall be in the vines, and the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there'll be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What's the lesson there? Rejoice in the Lord when you cannot rejoice in your circumstances. You know, when the apostle Paul said rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, he said that when he was in prison. Philippians chapter 4 verse 3. When others do, listen now, this is hard. When others do you wrong, as Joseph's brothers did to him. Let me tell you right from the word of God, what, the, what, what you should do. This is from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 15 through 19. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do not quench the spirit. In other words, when you don't do those things, you're quenching the spirit. The word quench there means to put out the fire. We put out the fire by pouring water on it. And if we have a spirit of revenge, if we're walking the flesh, if we're doing things without praying about them first, if we're unthankful in all of these things, we are stifling or suppressing or quenching the Spirit. Joseph always rejoiced in the Lord when he couldn't rejoice in the circumstances. That's important. Personal lesson number three, whether in a time of plenty or in a time of famine, and you're going to have times of plenty and times of famine, and whether in plenty or famine, look always to the cross. Here's the third verse of this hymn I'm quoting to you. When I could not see through the shadows ahead, I looked to the cross of my Savior instead. I bowed to the will of the Savior that day. Then peace came and tears fled away. The Bible tells us that none of us, no matter how you think you've been struggling, none of us has shed blood striving against sin. But even if we did, it would be less than we deserve. <laughs> Even though we're Christians, we still fall short of the glory of God because of sin. But our Savior, who was without fault before God and men, suffered as no man ever suffered. And so when we think we're going through a valley, 
that we don't deserve, when others betray us, when the devil seems to always be at our heels, remember the cross and the Christ who suffered on it, and he had no sin. Here's an exhortation for you from the book of Hebrews, quoting a lot of scripture to you today, but you can go back and listen to it again. Now, this is the English version, so you don't need to put this up on the screen because it's going to muddy the waters if you do. Just listen to this English translation, part of it, my translation, from chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. We have a large crowd of witnesses around us, those who have gone before. So then, let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds on to us so tightly, and let us run with determination. The King James Version says patience. The race that lies before us, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end, and who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Think of what he went through, how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourselves become discouraged and give up. Keep looking unto Jesus. Number four, personal lesson number four, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Here's the next verse of this hymn. Now I can see that testing comes from above. God strengthens his children and purges them in love. Our Father knows best, and I trust in his care. Through purging, more fruit will I bear. Now let's go to John 15, where Brother Dale took us this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 15. Wonderful, wonderful chapter with lots of information in it. Jesus is the vine. Verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Jesus is the vine planted in his father's vineyard, in the vineyard of this world. Now, he was not a wild vine. He was a deliberately planted vine. A vine is, in most cases, an unattractive thing. And the Bible says Christ had no comeliness that we should desire him. Isaiah 53, 2. The vine is a spreading plant. The gospel of Christ is to be spread to the ends of the earth. The fruit of the vine honors God and cheers man, according to Judges chapter 9 and verse 13. The fruit of Christ, seen in the salvation of souls, gladdens the heart of men and pleases our Heavenly Father. Now, those who make a profession of faith in Christ are certainly in Him by profession. Well, we expect grapes from a grapevine, and Christ expects fruit from those who abide in Him. But it tells us in verse 2 that every branch that bears no fruit will be taken away. Every branch that bears fruit will be purged. That is, that probably spells some chastisement and trouble in your life that it might bear more fruit. Now, this is a slow and this is a tedious 
process requiring great patience, and this is what we call waiting on the Lord. Now, if you don't think it's a slow and tedious process, ask Joe and Beth Moran how long they've had to wait before they could expect any grapes from their vineyard. There's the battle for just the right amount of sunshine and rain. There's a battle against birds. There's a battle against parasites. All of that comes when we live in this world, and we need to remain faithful unto death, and that takes great patience. And only those who are really in Christ will survive. No ordinary person could have gone through all that Joseph went through and survived it. But if we can say, I am his and he is mine, I will wait all my life on him and in his perfect will, then you're safe. Joseph had to wait 23 years before things began to come together. And when he died at 110, they were still in Egypt. They were not in the promised land at 110 years of age. And so he said, don't bury me, embalm me, put me in that coffin and let me be a testimony. And he was a testimony for the next 300 years. Okay. Now look at verse four. Verse four. The key to bearing fruit is abiding. That is in Christ and persevering in him. That is verse four. Abide in me and I in you. We used to sing a little song. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. Maybe we'll learn that. It says no, vine, no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it's abiding in the vine. You know that a limb has to be attached to the trunk to, uh, to bear anything. No more can ye, verse 4, except you abide in me. So the key to fa- uh, uh, bearing fruit is abiding, staying. All right, verse 5. Unless we abide in him, we can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. Those who don't abide in him, they make professions of faith and they leave the Lord and leave the gospel and leave the people of God, they will at last be burned. Okay? They're stripped off. Now, you know, when they go up, when y'all prune those uh, vines, I guess you prune off some of those limbs, the ones that are not needful or that don't bear fruit or whatever, they prune those off. Probably they burned them. This is what he says here in verse 6. The key to answered prayer, is abiding in him. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. That's the key, by abiding in him. All right, then verse 8, it is the fruit that glorifies the Lord, which requires much patience. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now he's talking specifically to his disciples, But I think there's some things in there that can be applied to us uh, uh, because we are his disciples too. All right, then verse 9, he says, We must continue in his love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. Jesus, having loved his own, loved them unto the end. And we are to love him unto the end. 
So the four personal lessons are, again, learn to trust the Lord, whatever comes your way. Number two, rejoice in the Lord when you cannot rejoice in your circumstances. Number three, always look to the cross. And number four, wait on the Lord. Now, lastly, there are three what I call providential lessons. Three providential lessons that we learn from back here in Genesis chapter 42. I'm going to refer you to some other passages, but I get those from Genesis uh, chapter 42. They are, number one, here's a providential lesson for you. You need to learn this. You need to get this down in your heart and mind. You need to settle this. Neither the purpose of God nor the providence of God can be turned back or even delayed. No sooner had Joseph said in chapter 41, verse 51, when he had one of his sons, God has made me forget all my father's house. No sooner had he said that than his brothers showed up. You remember that in his dreams... When he was 17 years old, the Lord revealed his future. But what he didn't do, he did not give him all the details regarding his future. He only gave him this significant determination of heaven that he would be exalted and that his brothers would bow to him. They would willingly bow to him. And although in Joseph's life there have been many twists and turns, no doubt also twists and turns with his family back in Canaan, it's all beginning to come together as just as the Lord determined. So learn this lesson. The purpose of God, nor the providence of God, can be turned back or delayed. So I've already told you in the personal lessons, just keep walking according to what you know in his word. That's why it's important for you to know his word. Providential lesson number two. The Lord usually, he might, but usually he does not intervene or provide in a miraculous way when natural means of preservation are within reach. In other words, if there's something I can do and I don't want to do it, I'm not willing to do it, and I pray, oh God, do something, he's going to say, no, you do it. You do it. You can do it, and you're not going to do it. You want me to intervene, and usually he doesn't intervene. In many cases, brothers and sisters, we are responsible for our own problems. We haven't done what we should have done, or we've done what we should not have done. We neglect our health, and then we, when we have needs, we call on the Lord to work a miracle. And many health problems are self-caused. We don't eat right. We don't sleep right. We don't take care of our bodies. But then when they begin to break down, then we call on the Lord. I've had a kidney stone. <laughs> Lots of kidney stones can be avoided by drinking water. I drink everything else. I drink milk and Cokes and everything else. I ain't drinking water, but I'm a water drinker now. <laughs> I, I have a gallon of water right by my computer. I drink water. Listen to this. This is good. God and the doctor alike we adore, but only when in danger and not before. When the danger is over, both are requited, God is forgotten, and the doctor slighted. Isn't that true? That's exactly true. So the second providential lesson is, do what you know to do 
once you've done everything that you think you can do, you can call on the Lord, ask him to help you to do something. And the last lesson, providential lesson number three is this. The Lord is always in every situation and in every circumstance teaching his children. Did you know that all of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of them went through famines? Let me give you four reasons that I think the Lord took them through famine. There may be others, but here are four. Number one, to teach them to trust Him. I can trust the Lord when I got money in the bank, my stock's up, and everything else. But what about when it's all turning upside down? You teach, he's going to teach you to trust Him. Number two, He teaches us to seek a better country. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10 says that Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he sojourned or lived as a stranger in the land of promise, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. One way or another, the Lord's going to wean us from this world. He's going to teach you that this world is not your home, you're just passing through. And you need to set your sights on the other world, the world that God has built for his children. Number three, the third lesson he teaches us by letting us go through famines, and especially here with uh, Joseph, was to fulfill his promises to Abraham. See, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, he and his family have to get down into Egypt before they can be delivered from Egypt. They've got to get down into Egypt, and they're going to be there for 430 years before they're miraculously delivered. So he's doing this to fulfill his promises. I suggest to you that he's saving people today to fulfill his promises to his son. I'll give you a people from among all the people on the face of the earth. In lesson number four, he's doing this here, particularly uh, letting this famine and the plenty and all of that happen to fulfill the dreams that he gave to Joseph when he's 17 years old. When you come to Christ... God gives you a dream, and that dream is to be with him in heaven. And everything that happens to you in this world is to prepare you for that, to prepare you to fulfill that dream, to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, to see him face to face, to bow down to the one who loved you and gave himself for you. May the Lord add his blessings the teaching of his word. All right, let's stand together. Let's sing under the blood. The safest place, my friends, is under the blood of Christ. All you boys and girls, you need to come to Christ. Last week, 
We had a wonderful baptismal service. Eli Alexander, 14 years old, was baptized. He confessed Christ. Wonderful service. A great way to start off the week of the Bible conference. Great week. We had this week. And uh, if there are others of you here, regardless of your age, as I've said before, you can be baptized so many times. We used to baptize in the Harpers River before we had a baptistry. We baptized in the Harpers River. Some of you remember that. You can be baptized in so many times that every turtle in all of the banks of the Harpers River knows you by your first name. But that won't save you. The water doesn't wash your sins away, but it is a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing this song. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages roll. I'm safe though the world may cry. I'm safe, though the stars go dim, under the blood of Jesus, I am secure. Now, Father, we pray your blessings upon the gathering that we've had this morning, upon the lessons that have been taught both in the Sunday school classes and here in the worship service. We pray that your word shall not return (coughs) unto you void, but shall accomplish that whereunto you have sent it. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up in all of our lives. We might live our lives with our eyes fastened upon him who endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. And the joy set before us is seeing him face to face one of these days, the one that bled and died, the one that suffered, the one that earned the righteousness and freely gives it to all who come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Now, Father, may you bless your word to the hearts of every person and work that in us which is pleasing in your sight to the glory of him with whom we have to do, even our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.